last uh, two months I've been sharing with you guys, church family, it's been emotionally just draining. Um, a number of folks that I care about deeply experienced tremendous loss suddenly. My closest friends lost their oldest son. Billy was only 26 to a motorcycle accident. And a few weeks later found out that uh, one of our dear church member sisters, Amy Bridgman, was diagnosed with cancer. Then just uh, two days ago, um, someone that uh, very near dear to me, she served in a number of capacity when coming to our church, Emily Delu. Some of you know her, Emily Mark and Delu. Emily Mark Delu found out a month ago, just a month ago, their father, is only in his 60s, had pancreatic cancer. And so they were surprised, of course, and shocked and began meeting with doctors to figure out treatment, so on and so forth. And Emily just flew out a few days ago because... Uh, They were meeting with the specialist to find out what treatment, if at all, would be possible, so on and so forth. Three days ago, they found out from the doctor that there was not much that can be done. So they sent him home. Then he passed away the day after. It was just a sudden shock for them. And uh, continue to keep them in your prayers for those of you that know them. But as these events have happened over the last two months or so, I've been reflecting a lot on what we're talking about, which is community, which is biblical community, body of Christ, deep relationships. And two weeks ago, interesting enough, Lisa Orris, who lost her son, visited our church service. She was here kind of anonymously. And afterwards, I took her out to lunch and we were eating. And Lisa and I are very similar. Those of you that know, very similar. That's one of the reasons why we're so close. And I just asked her, I said, Lisa, I want to ask you a question. I said, I said, how are you dealing with this whole, you have an entire church, she's a pastor, who wants to care for you. And I know how you're wired. You're wired like me. Like if I went through what you went through, the way that I would respond is I would want nothing to do with people. The way that I respond when I'm going through difficult stuff is I find the darkest little room and go in it, find a corner, crawl in like in a fetal position, and not talk to see anybody. That's how I deal with stuff. So I said, how are you doing with all these people wanting to care for you? And she said this. She said, you know, Peter, the way that I'm normally wired, I want to respond like you. And then she said this. She said, but I know that I need people right now. I need them. I need them. Do you know what that's like? Do you know what that's like to to need community? And by the way, I I just want to be clear. When when we talk about community, (laughs) I'm going to continue to challenge you. So many of our relationships are so superficial and shallow. We live in the Facebook, Facebook, Facebook social media culture where we have redefined friends. Good Lord. You don't have a thousand friends. You don't. Here's some some questions that I I wanted to uh, just throw out. Um, when something goes wrong, do, do you have at least one friend that you can talk with about it? 
Here's, a, here's another question. Do you have a friend that can drop in on you at any time without calling ahead? Or does everybody in your life have to schedule and plan? And... Here's another question. Is there someone who could accurately name your greatest fears, temptations? Maybe I throw in there addictions. Do you have one or more friend that you meet with regularly? And maybe I include on there not, not just to hang, but to talk about what's really going on. Uh, do, do you have a friend that you know well enough to trust their confidentiality? If you uh, receive good news like a promotion, do you have a friend that you'd call immediately just to let them know? And if you can't answer yes to majority of these questions, why is that? Uh, last week we looked at Genesis, and today we're going to spend one more week looking at Genesis as we continue our series, Better Together, Pursuing Biblical Community. And just an FYI, where we're going, we're laying some really big 30,000 for perspective foundation uh, to biblical community. Then we're going to get real specific about what does it mean to pursue biblical community. But we'll talk about racial reconciliation, multi-ethnicity, being people of justice, What does it mean to pursue spiritual friendships with one or two people? That's kind of where we're going for the next four or five weeks. But today, last Sunday, we're going to lay some big, 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 broad foundation of what it means to pursue biblical community. And last week, we looked at the fact that Genesis tells us about work and rest, work and rest. And today, we see that we're created for community. Now, one of the most interesting things about Genesis, those of you that read it, One of the most interesting things about the Genesis account is that you have God creating things. The stars, the moon, the sun, the vegetation, the fish, the birds. And every time God creates in Genesis 1 and 2, you find this. He creates and he creates and he creates. Then all of a sudden, when it comes to God creating humanity, all of a sudden when God creates his prized creation, humanity, the pronoun changes. All of a sudden, you see, he creates, he creates. And God begins to refer to his pluralness where he goes, are. Genesis 1, 26, then God said, let us, all of a sudden, pronoun shift, make man in our image, in our likeness, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Only when it comes to humanity, only when it comes to God creating his prized creation, you see God referring to his own pluralness. Only when God creates us, does he switch from and he to our. It's no longer mine. But let us, what does it mean? Christianity says something really profound and powerful about God. And I could only spend like two minutes on this and move on, okay? Because frankly, even if I spent more time on it, I don't think I could do a better job of explaining it. The Christian faith says that there is one God, and I put it up there, but this one God eternally exists at three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're not three different gods. There's one God. So Christianity is very different from 
polytheistic religions that say there are multiple gods. There's one God, but, but, but. He eternally exists as three distinct persons. So Christianity is distinct from religions that say God is unipersonal. Islam says that God is unipersonal. Judaism says that God is unipersonal. Christianity says God exists as three distinct persons. And this doctrine emerges over time. And you have Jesus himself affirming it in Matthew 28 when he says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And surely I am with you always. What do we get? Park on this, then we're going to see the ramifications. God is a community of one. God is a community of one. The doctrine of Trinity gives us something profound about God, and that is that God, listen to this, because I need you to hear it several times. God is a community. God is a community that is central to understanding Christianity is that community is inherent and intrinsic to who God is for all eternity. Beginning of time to the end of all eternity, God has been a community of persons delighting in each other, loving each other, enjoying each other. There's never been a time when this wasn't the case. What does that mean? That means that authentic, vulnerable, loving community is intrinsic to who God is, which means that authentic, vulnerable, loving community is intrinsic to ultimate reality, or it's what life is all about. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe that it's intrinsic, inherent to who we are, to be in authentic, vulnerable, loving community. Now, we're going to see the ramifications of this for each other, but give me like a few minutes to delve into what this means for our relationship with God. And I just want to give you, um, when this insight sort of came, um, it blew me away because I had never heard this before. But really looking at it and, and, and seeing it has enabled me to see the Christian life, especially for those of you that are searching in a totally different way. What do I mean? What picture do you have of creation? What picture do you have of creation? Can I make a confession? Here's the picture of creation that I've had for years, okay? I think of God as an old man with a big beard. He walks into a dark room by himself, and he goes, sun, sun, moon, moon. Like, that's how I've always pictured God by himself, dark creation. Is that your view, idea of creation? Is that your picture? There's another creation account that's found in Proverbs 8. Proverbs 8. And let me show you what the author of Proverbs says about the creation account. In Proverbs 8, we have a fascinating creation account. In Proverbs 8, there is another person involved in creation. And he's referred to as wisdom or the word of God. Wisdom and the word of God. And here's what the author of Proverbs says about what happened at creation. Check this out. Proverbs 8, verse 27. This is wisdom or the word speaking. I was there when he, God, 
set the heavens in place when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the foundations of the deep, when he gave the seas its boundary, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, I was constantly at his side. Does that blow anybody else away? So this picture of God by himself, Father, walking into a dark room and saying, sun, moon, creation was a community event. Creation was a community and, and it takes, it goes even further. Not only was it a creation event, look what it says. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing and delighting in mankind. Proverbs 8 says that creation was not a solo individual event. It was a community event of God the Father and this person called wisdom, the word, together creating. And then you go, who is that wisdom? Who is that word? Do you remember a little guy named John who writes John chapter 1, who this person is John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word, wisdom, was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory. Glory of the one and only who came from the Father. Verse 18. No one has ever seen God but the one and only who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. That literally says he is in the Father's bosom. I'll get to that in a moment, has made him known. Do you see what I mean by losing that picture of God, old man, beard, boom, boom, boom? It's a community event. And not only is it a community event, it's a beautiful picture. Look what it says. Not only does it say, and I was there. It says in verse 14 of John, and we, or 18, we were in one another's bosom. I tell you what, last night there was one person who was in my bosom. That's it. Well, actually, there's two other people or three other people. Think of someone's bosom. I know it's kind of a, an outdated word in our culture. I couldn't think of a better, you know, your chest. It's not quite, you know, the same. Think of who has access to your bosom. I'll tell you who has access. A nursing baby with a mother. A wife, a husband. Two lovers. My Noah, Sophie, Parker, when daddy's just in bed. To be in someone's bosom is the most intimate interchange of love possible. And John says, here's how creation happened. You ready? I was in the bosom of my father. And we were laughing Rejoicing. And check this out. The word delight in Hebrew literally means to frolic, to dance. Use your imagination. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit in community, laughing, frolicking, dancing, and saying, Let the sun, let there be moon. Does this blow anybody else away? Creation.
Mission is a community event where the Godhead is rejoicing, frolicking, dancing, and whole. This then puts Genesis 1.26 when God says, and check this out, let us make human beings in our image in a completely different light. Because literally God is saying, let's make them to experience what we are experiencing. Let's make them capable of loving and being loved. Let's make them capable of knowing and being known. Let's make them capable of delighting in somebody and being lighted upon. Let's make them in such a way that would reflect the goodness of creation. Is this good news? Think about what this has implications about your relationship with God. How do you view Christianity? How do you view your relationship with God? I'll tell you how some of you view Christianity. I go to church. I read the Bible. I pray. I try not to do the things that are on the don't list. And I try to do the things on the do list. And once in a while, you know, if I, this is how you talk, by the way. Once in a while, you know, if I, if I do good things and God will bless. Good Lord, you were created to be in his arms. You can clap to that. You were created to be in his bosom. You were created to know and be known by God. To delight in God and know that God delights in you. You were created to be in his bosom. Is that your view of Christianity? Is that your picture of your relationship with God? Because now, I go to church. I go to... I stop. I stop. Know that you were created for so much more. Is God just a, a doctrine, a set of theological beliefs that you adhere to? Or do you know this God intimately? Is Christianity a bunch of rules and regulations still bay? Or is Christianity... Pastor Michael, a dance. Dance with your heavenly father. I'd kind of show you what that looks like, but I'm a terrible dancer, so I won't. Okay? I love Jesus. I love him. God intended for you to go. I want to be in your arms. I want to I love and be known. I want to experience deep intimacy and closeness with you. God is a community. What does it mean for us? It means that you and I are made for community. We're made in the image of God who is a community. That means we were made. I'm going to say it over and over again because I need you to. I need you to evaluate your relationships with your Christian brothers and sisters. God meant us to live in authentic, vulnerable, loving community. That's what it means to be human. You can't be fully human unless you are living in authentic, vulnerable, loving community. You can't help wanting to be together you crave it you yearn for it you want to be loved that's why there's so many 
stupid country music songs. This need goes all, all the way back to the beginning. You and I, you can't help it. You can't help it. it is this thing, this thing in us. Yes, even, even, even I am the most independent. I am the most, I don't need anybody. I am the most, I am perfectly fine on my own person here. I guarantee it. If you think you are more than me, come talk to me afterwards and I will prove to you I am more than you. Even me, even me, I have to confess that deep inside there is a I can't help it. I can't help it. Why? Look at Genesis 2.18. Genesis 2.18. Genesis 2.18 is one of these oddities of the creation account. Verse 18. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. And I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, don't just go pass by. Think about how odd this is. Think about how, what this is. You put brakes there and go, what? That's what? Why? Because you realize that up to now, everything that God has made in creation, he declares, it's good, it's good, it's good. And suddenly, stop, brakes, God says, something is not good. Listen to me. This is paradise. This is perfection. And yet God says, something is not right. Can I say that again? This is paradise. This is perfection. And God says, something's not right. What is that? Adam is unhappy. Why? Because he's alone. And I want you to think about the radical implications of this. You think you've had good food? You think you've had good? You've never had garden food. You've never had Garden of Eden food. Adam had the best food ever. You think you've experienced beauty? Adam experienced beauty that you and I will never even get close to. You think you've experienced, Adam has beauty, best food. He has power. He has everything. But he's still unhappy. Why? Because you and I have been created in the image of an us and not a me. We will never be happy until we too are an us and not a me. He has everything. Everything, you sitting here today go, if I just had that, I would be okay. Adam has everything. And yet, He's still lonely. On purpose, by the way, because I, I know there's like two people going, well, you know, but don't we, don't we, don't we just need God? Huh? Don't we just need God? Is Adam had a perfect prayer life. Adam had the best quiet times ever. <laughs> Adam, Adam's thinking walk with God. He walked with God. 
You hear, you hear what I'm saying? He walked with God in the cool of the day. When's the last time you walked with God in the cool of the day? Okay? He has perfect prayer life. He has devotions. He's not doing quiet time going, when can I be done? He is enjoy. And yet, Adam says, things are not right. On purpose, God creates Adam in such a way that he is not complete until he is in community. On purpose, God creates Adam so that unless there is a community, all the things that our world says, if you just had, will satisfy. Adam says, not enough. On purpose. God creates us in such a way that the things that he wants to show us, things that he wants to give us, could only come through others. Paradise wasn't paradise without community. Perfection wasn't perfection without community. Implications? Handful. Let's move on. One. To need and to want friendships and community is not a sign of spiritual immaturity, but of maturity. Can I get an amen? When a Christian says, I'm so spiritually mature, man, I don't need anybody, man. All I need is God. Here's news. Even God doesn't think that. (laughs) Daniel, can I say that again? When anybody says, I just, all I need is God. Even God's up there going, no, you don't. I don't even think that. Even God This is why it's so dangerous when Christians flippantly go, all you need is Jesus, all you need is Jesus. Now listen, listen, let me be very clear. To those of us that are prone to idolatry, you know what I'm talking about, right? Those of us that are constantly prone to put other things before God, you betcha. You have to have somebody in your life going, all you need is God. All you need is God. But imagine someone who has just lost their son. Imagine someone who's just lost their father through pancreatic cancer in a span of a week. Imagine someone who is struggling deeply with depression and they hear Christians flippantly going, all you need is God, all you need is God. That is an incomplete truth. Even God doesn't think that. Let me ask you something. When was the last time another person said something, did something, or was something to you that gave you life? Two. Implication, friendships and relationships. I was going to say, friendships and relationships are intrinsic to ultimate reality, to which half of us go, what does that mean? So I just, here's what it means. They're good in and of themselves. Why is this important? Can I tell you something? Do you know that you and I are surrounded by people who don't believe this? Do you know that you are surrounded by, I am surrounded by a cultural mindset that says this, relationships are just a means to an end and not a good in and of itself. To which you go, I don't believe that, really? Then why does your life look like this? Why are your relationships primarily with people who could sort of help you advance in your career? 
or help you get into certain social circles or help you move up the social ladder? Why are your relationships oftentimes surrounded by cooler, hipper, richer? Why are your relationships surrounded by those things? And why does your... Because you and I deep down inside, I include myself, we were influenced by this cultural mind that says, relationships, are, they're means to an end. Now here's the thing, though. You ready? And this may sound strong language, but I'm just going to... You and I dehumanize ourselves. We become less human when we use people for our personal gain and not love them for them. You and I become less... Please hear me. And I know there are very few of us that are doing this. We don't go around, I'm going to use her. I'm going to use it. We don't intentionally and consciously do that. But deep down inside, think about your relationships. You and I become less human. Why? We were created by a God who says, I created relationships that are good in and of themselves. So when you use people, you're doing violence to your humanity. I'll tell you what happens when gospel changes us. You ready? We actually are drawn to and will spend time with people who can do nothing for you. Here's another way how we've been influenced by the culture. Our culture says, put relationships in the back burner, man. And you go, I won't do that. Okay, I'm getting kind of personal. You ready? Our culture says, don't you want to be successful? To which we all go, well, yeah. Our culture says, then you know what? These stable relationships that you have, you could always find them somewhere else. So go to that city so you could find another job. Do you know that nine out of ten of you guys that are sitting right now, that have deep, meaningful relationships, stable relationships with people that you've been doing life with? Do you know that your automatic reaction is to sacrifice those relationships for that new job in that other city or the other? You, won't, you don't even think twice about, well, what will this mean for these states? You don't even think. Why? Because our culture goes, don't you want to be successful? Well, then you got to move. you got to move all over the place and sacrifice stable relationships. I'm going to tell you right now, 20-something, you ready? You ready? You want to be counterculture and radical? A simple way? You actually go, these stable relationships mean more to me than finding a job that's going to take me up the career ladder. So I'm going to park myself right here in Chicago. I was hoping he wouldn't say that. Yes. Let me tell you something. If you go, well, I don't want to do that permanently, here's what I say. If you were coming here to play, stay for two years, I say what? Stay four. If you were planning to stay for four years as a college student, I say stay eight. In other words, lengthen the time. And I'm telling you, telling you, telling you right now, the way you innately are, you're like, I don't care about, you, well, I kind of care, but you know, let me one other thing, and then I need Do you know how many people who've left new community and stable relationships, moved to another city, and they call me, email me, text me, and say, Pastor Peter, it's been three years, and I can't find another community like new community. And they say, And I don't know why I just took off thinking that this job was going to be the ultimate. Oh, boy. Our culture says, don't you want to be successful? Well, then put in long hours and you don't see your family. Our culture says stable relationships, back burner. 
How much more strongly can the Bible say none of that matters without relationships? How much more strongly in the Bible say in perfection and in paradise, the best job, the best food, the best anything, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Adam has all the money, all the pleasure, all the power in the universe, and he's still unhappy. Why are you trying to build a life? Why are you trying to build a life by putting relationships? And don't give me lip service like, no, I do value relationships. No, you don't. Because if you did, these hard questions in life, you would answer differently. Three, and this is probably most convicting for me. You can't know this God who is inherently community. You can't grow into the image of this God without community. I need you to respond. Okay, I need you to respond. Do you want to be more like Jesus? Do you want his strength? Do you want his wisdom? Do you want his power? <laughs> the yeses are getting slower. Like, come on, play along. Do you, would you like to be more like Jesus? You can't do it without community. You can't. You can't. And it's not my opinion. How can you become more like someone who is community by yourself? How can you resemble someone who is intrinsically and early community individually? Does that make any sense? Then why are you trying? Why am I trying? One of the five verses that we parked on in the history of our church is this verse right here, Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You and I live in a hyper-modern, individualistic Western culture. That means three things. You ready? That means three things. One, you don't like accountability. Two, you guard your privacy. Three, you don't want to commit to anything. Can I say that again? How many of you are like, that's three for three, that's me. You don't like accountability. We, we, we. We don't like accountability because, by the way, I'm shouting this morning because what? I'm preaching to myself. We guard our privacy and we never commit to anything. And there are two premises that Hebrews 13 or 3 challenges with. And the first premise is this. You have to have people in your life who see you so often, that's the word daily or regularly, that they really see who you really are. They really see who you really are. For many of us, we have Facebook friends. We have FaceTime friends. We have texting friends. We have email friends. And all of those friends have one thing in common. You ready? You control what they see of you. This is all they see. Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's going awesome. You're like buck naked, right? Awesome. What are you doing over there? Oh, nothing. I'm just. (laughs) 
Can I say it again? Because some of y'all got it, and some of you are like, I'm going to say it again. You and I, you and I are drawn to, are drawn to our modern technology. Why? Because all of these things enable us to control what other people see and know about us. You control it. That's why you don't want people close to you who could just drop in on you. That's why many of you are like, I have college friends. I have graduate friends. I have old-time friends. I have Iowa friends. I have, and they're my good friends. And I don't have any room for my friends. The reason why you're drawn to those friendships is because you love the fact that you could control what they see and know about you. And the Bible is saying, oh, no, no, no. You all need people who go, who is it? It's me, Peter. What? Hold on a minute. <laughs> well, what were you doing? Nothing. Why don't you text me first? Ha. Ah. You guys, we're all laughing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is the reason why you don't want to be in community. You don't like accountability. You guard your privacy. And the Bible says if that's the case, you will never grow. Secondly, the second premise is this. You have to have people in your life who could call you out on your flaws and your weaknesses. Why? Because you and I don't know who we are. When's the last time this happened to you? A picture sent of you and a bunch of friends. You're looking at it going, oh, is that what I look like? People are like, yeah. Like, no, I don't know what I look like. Yeah, that's what you look like. And I've used this analogy before. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. When I hear myself like on recording, I hate it. Do you know why? Because I hear it and I literally sound like this. That's what I sound like. And I listen and I go, oh my gosh, who is that? That's you, Peter. You and I don't know what we sound like. Do you know that? Other people do. How in the world are you going to grow if you have protected yourself from letting anybody in your life call you out on your flaws. This is the reason why it's crazy. People come and go, well, I listen to your sermons and podcasts and I'm growing. The problem is 80% of what you think you need, it's not what you need. Other people in your life can see, go, do I say that? Yeah, you do. Do I do that? Yeah, you do. Do I act like that? Yes, you do. Who have you given permission in your life to go, hey, Peter, and by the way, just want you to know, there are three people in this church, in case you're wondering, who I've given this permission to. My wife is not one of them. Well, she does that, but she didn't, per- she didn't need permission. That was kind of a given. She has that. Even if, even if I didn't give it to her, she'd do it anyway, okay? There's three people. And let me tell you something. 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 They are, they are my saving grace. They are my life raft. These people, these people I've given permission to go, when you said that the other day, that was offensive. When you did that to her, that hurt her more than you'll ever know. 
Who do you have in your life that's doing that with you? Anybody? We don't just need people to affirm. We need people to confront in truth and love. We need people to go, that's not of God. And I love you too much to leave you that way. (sighs) There are some of you, and this is going to be strong language again, that are emotional infants and spiritually children because you don't have anybody in your life right now who is doing this for you. man with this, which you go, all the things that you're talking about, I want it, but man, it's scary. It's frightening. I don't know if I can trust people. To which we all go, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. So where do we get the power? Before we get the power, let's go look at, as we finish, what happened that find us in the condition that we're in. We go to Genesis 3. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, verse 7. And the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The Jewish leaders, the rabbis had something called the principle of first mention. Is an interpretive key. And what that was is any time a word appeared, in order to understand the meaning of that word, they said, where did that word first appear? Let's go back to that. Do you remember where the word naked first appears in Genesis? It's found in Genesis 2, where it says, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Listen carefully. Them... Being naked and feeling no shame is not just, it's way deeper and more profound than just the physical reality. When the Bible says that they were both naked and they didn't have any shame, what they had was the key to all great relationships. You know what it is? They were fully transparent. They were fully vulnerable. They didn't Major in image management. They didn't control what you got to see about me when she gets to see. Totally open, totally transparent, totally, and and here's a wonderful thing, ready? And yet, unconditionally loved. And I don't know you, but I know this about you. You're sitting here, we all want that. We all want to be fully known, totally vulnerable and transparent, and yet to be fully loved. But in the world that you and I live in, we can't have both. You have to choose, at least the world tells us, right? They say, choose and control your image. Let other people see parts of you. Don't let them see your flaws. Don't let them see weaknesses. That's how you get love. Don't be totally transparent. Control your management. Do, do, do image trans- management and, and you'll get love. When they don't see your flaws, weaknesses, your sins, then yet yeah, people will love you. Or, 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 man, if you choose the route of vulnerability, transparency, then they're going to reject you. 
You have to choose, the world says. Either be fully known or be fully loved, but you can't have both. And yet the ache and the longing in our soul is, but I need both. I need both. I need both. I need both. That's why I'm dying right now. I need both. I'm not known or I'm not loved. I need both. I need both. Why can't we have that? Because the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, the moment that they ate of the tree, the moment that they decided, listen, to be their own masters, to be their own gods, the moment they chose their way over God's way, the Bible says they became aware of their nakedness and they make a covering and they hide. And look up here. I need you to hear this. That's the first thing that happened when sin entered the world. When the, the first thing that happened when sin entered the world, notice, it's not murder. It's not injustice. The first thing that happens to me, which is the result of all the other things, the first thing that happens as a result of sin is not murder and justice. It's they hide. Relationships are fractured. First thing that happens is fig leaves. First thing that happens is I can't let you really see who I am because if I did, you might reject me. You might judge me. I can't let you come all the way. And husband and wife, some of you are doing this and your marriage is in trouble. I can't let you see all the way in because if you saw the ugly, the weak, the vulnerable, you might reject me. And so I'm going to hide. Fig leaves are nothing new. You have them I have them. Fig leaves are our ways of protecting ourselves because of fear and rejection. Fig leaves are the things that you and I use to keep people at bay, to guard our privacy, to have nobody accountable, and so we don't have to commit to anything. You might not even be a Christian here today. Whether you believe the Bible or not, I know this about you. You and I fear community because deep down inside, deep down inside, we think there is something wrong with me. There is something ugly about me. There is something unpleasant about me. And I long for community, but I can't, I can't let you see it. So where do we get the power? You need a spiritual cover. Did you know? Did you know that Jesus was stripped naked on the cross? Do you remember the Bible says that they cast lots for his clothes? Jesus is stripped fully naked on the cross and he's being tortured. Why? Why? For you? For me? For our sins? So that we can be accepted? So that we can be made holy? Now, you ready for this? Question. Did he know who you were to the bottom? Answer? Yes, but he loved you anyway. I will spend the rest of my life 
beholding and being confounded by this truth. That the gospel says, the naked, crucified, the naked, crucified Jesus on the cross is proof that there is a God who knows me to the bottom. There is a God who knows everything about me, everything about me, every second, every moment about me, and yet he loves me. And yet he loves you. There is a God who knows everything there is to know about you. And yet, he says, I love you. Is that amazing? Is that absolutely amazing? See, if you're sitting here and your heart is cold or hardened, that truth has not broken into your heart. Because for anybody sitting here who goes, he knows everything there is to know about me, everything, and he loves me, he loves me, you will weep. Even human beings, when somebody who doesn't even know you comes up and goes, I think you're pretty fine, fella. You feel okay. But when somebody who knows everything about you comes and says, I think you're one of the greatest people I know. I love you. You weep. Why? Because our heart says, I need that. The extent to which you are spiritually covered by Jesus is the extent to which you can be transparent and vulnerable. What do I mean? I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Everybody, can you just go up here? I'm almost done. Listen, listen. Unless you know to the depths of your heart that you are affirmed by Jesus, you, because of fear of rejection, will never get vulnerable. Unless you know that the only verdict that matters has already been given. Unless you know that you have the affirmation that you need and that's been given to you, you will fear what other people think and the rejection is too much and you will never be transparent. Until you deep down inside go, the verdict has been given, I'm affirmed. What else do I need? Unless you have the approval that you long for, I'm telling you right now, you will constantly use people to make yourself feel better and not love them for them. Unless you are covered by the gospel, the blood of Jesus, you and I will for the rest of our lives go from, I need community, I want community, uh, but say, but I'm going to control what you see. I will not let you be accountable, and I'm fine on my own. Who knows? Before we give our tithes and our offering and we rush out of here with the final song, I want to remind you that you either have to create a group of community to be with or get in one. And this entire month, we have worked extremely hard to provide amazing groups. I've done majority of the work so that you can say, finally say, you know what, Peter? I'm ready. And maybe I'm not ready and I'm scared, but I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to risk it, man, because I can't. 
can't do this on my own. Now, my prayer is that every single one of you, whether you're already in a community group or, or not, that you take time. If you're in one, man, go downstairs in the foyer, bless those small group leaders, encourage them, give them a pat on the back, give them a hug, encourage them and say, way to go. If you're not in one, there's lots of people down there that will help you try and connect with the group so that you can begin this journey. I'm going to pray for our tithes and our offering now. I'm going to ask that the ushers come forward and the worship team come forward. And worship team, I'm sorry, but if I could just ask you guys to sing a song. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here again. Just because we desperately need him. We desperately need the Holy Spirit, many of us, to enable us and to empower us and to give us courage that we need to take this next bold step of faith. So as we sing this, perhaps it could be our prayer as we give our tithes and offering to the Lord. Inviting the Spirit, a living Spirit into our hearts and in our lives. Father, we give our tithes and our offering to you. We're reminded this morning that it is because you were stripped naked, tortured, crucified that we could have life that we could be joined to a living body called the community of faith the church we're reminded of your generosity to us God and our gospel response not out of guilt not out of fear but out of joyful delightful celebratory response we give to you what already belongs to you God Use this to advance your kingdom purposes, to build your kingdom, to build your city. May the hands of these gifts be blessed, God, in their vocations, in their work, in their families, in their relationships. We give.